but yes, sir, I'm just beginning, you know? That's it. Just, I understand certain things, some things, but, you know, this is all kind of new to me, so. Right. But I, I, I have an interest towards it, you know? <laughs> okay. Well, um, I have found over time that the ba best place to start is at the very simplest. And that uh, there is a place in a sutta where the Buddha says that both formally and now, I teach only one thing. And so if you can understand that the entire teachings of the Buddha is just one thing that can be expressed in three little words, I can express it in many different ways as one-liners. Okay. Okay. And the way that the Buddha expressed it was dukkha, dukkha naroda. Now that's in Nepali. Okay. And what dukkha means is, is that things are uh, in both inherently and by our viewpoint unsatisfying, unsatisfactory. Okay. And dukkha naroda means is that we can bring that to an end. Okay. 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 Now, the immediate uh, mistake that Westerners make with that is, is that they think that it, they add the word eventually. <laughs> eventually, yeah. Eventually. The better word to add to it is the word now. Now. To see uh, the dukkha and to avoid it or come out of it or, or throw it away or let go of it right now. Mm -hmm. yes, and sir. that's the secret to all of the teachings of the Buddha. Mm. And yet most of the books are written, most of the Dhamma books are written by people who don't know that secret. I know, that's crazy. Um, I've, I've heard about Buddhism for quite a while and like I've never heard, it always seemed like it's something you need to attain like in the future, you know? Mm -hmm. and that's that's why it's interesting that Dennis came to me telling me it's more about how you, it's a more of a now thing, and that's what that's kind of what sparked a lot of interest, you know, with me. Okay, so it, it was different. It was different, you know. Mm hmm. That word attainment, by the way, is one of the traps that the word eventually brings on. You could say if you use the word eventually, then eventually what? I'll get something or attain something yes, or sir. what and so then they go around the horn looking for all of these uh, uh, very highfalutin words in Buddhism where in fact they take ordinary words and make them highfalutin because they don't understand them correctly and with a background of the kind of religions that are available uh, Christianity Judaism whatnot like that uh, within that context, things are normally put into exalted places. Like mm -hmm. Jesus, they put him up in the clouds, and God's yes, a big eye in the sky, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so we do the same thing with attainments like enlightenment. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so when enlightenment is an attainment, then it's impossible to reach. Yeah. When enlightenment is literally you happily don't give a shit anymore, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, then that then that's correct. In other words, um, uh, we we can see that anything that I mess with is going to cause suffering, and that I should withdraw. Yeah. But in fact, almost everything about Buddha and the Buddhist teaching is negative. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. You don't attain anything. What you do is you drop baggage. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And when you drop baggage, okay. then you're light. Yeah, that's... Not heavy. And that is... <laughs> That's enlightenment is, is that we let go of a lot of stuff. And so we wind up with words like um, uh, Nibbana, which many people are mistaken, think that it's a state of attainment or it's a city or a place like that or whatnot like that. But in fact, the easiest way for Westerners, especially English in America, way to understand it is uh, by uh, translating the word Nibbana into chill, baby, chill. <laughs> nice. Cool off. That in fact the original word of Nibbana in the Pali meant just that, to just yeah. to chill, and it means to nice. cool off. And uh, there's two examples of it in the suttas. One example is uh, the cooling of food. That when food comes right off the fire, it's it's too hot to eat. Even broccoli can be too hot to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Pizza can be too hot to eat. So we okay. let it cool down to a pleasant temperature so that it's satisfying, and then we can eat it. If you eat the pizza too hot, it'll burn the roof of your mouth with the melted cheese still melted. Yeah. All right? Okay. Yeah, the, other the other example is that they use the word nibbana for uh, training domesticated animals. An example of that is a dog that's always barking is always hot. A dog yeah. that only barks when strangers come into the yard, it has nibbana quite a bit. And then when the dog can just lay on the floor and just enjoy his life and he doesn't even have to get up and bark for even gorillas coming. Well, I don't know of a dog who won't bark at a gorilla, yeah. but you get the idea. Yeah. Just laying on the floor and enjoying life. That's Nibbana. Yeah. Okay. Is when the dog is all chilled out, not wild anymore. So in a way, when a human Nibbana is, that means that we give up our wild qualities too. Yes, now, what do I mean by wild qualities actually is instinctual behavior. And there's a lot of human instincts that we have that are quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. And when we yeah. see that danger, we're willing to let them go, to drop them away. An example of that is in the territorial instinct. We say that <clears throat> those things that, I'm, that are familiar and surround me, I know. And the things that I that don't surround me that are far away are unknown, and because they're unknown, they're potentially dangerous. Therefore, when they do come close, instead of inspecting them to find out that they're not dangerous, we continue to think that they're dangerous. Mm -hmm. This is racism. Yeah, racism. Yeah. Racism. Discrimination. It's, and it is instinctual. Yes, sir. Yeah, that makes sense. And it takes a higher mind, a, a more human quality to recognize that just because I don't know them 
doesn't mean they're automatically dangerous. Yeah. Is it being like more, more open-minded and stuff, like open, opening your mind? That's it, open. Right, but guess what? If you, if you open your mind enough, all the junk will escape. Yeah. I like to kind of pride myself as somebody who's open-minded. That's why I'm open to, like, even learning Buddhism and a lot of things. But it still, Normally, it still though, feels like I got think, a lot of baggage in my, in my, on me sometimes. <laughs> well, a lot of people think that open-mindedness has to do with open your mind to let something new in. Yeah, But that's only half the story. The other part of the story of opening the mind is so the junk can get out. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so there's a two-way kind of open-mindedness, and that's part of the practice. Okay, so other ways of describing this business of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, like right now, is um, one of my favorites because it's in a song and is and is really cute and that is don't worry be happy <laughs> don't worry be happy that's the teaching of oh, the my. buddha right don't worry means see that worrying is dukkha it is unsatisfying it's unsatisfactory so let's stop worrying and just be like the dog nibbana on the floor yeah <laughs> so um uh, don't worry, Goenka be had happy. A, don't worry, be happy. The uh, Goenka had a phrase, never mind, start again. And that's the entire teaching of the Buddha. Never mind that you screwed up or that you're screwing up. Stop all of that and just start over again. Right now, yeah. start over. You know, it's like I, I keep finding myself like, it's like I always want like a structured way or like a very one, two, three step how to do certain things. And and uh, that's what I'm just trying to like kind of grasp onto when it comes to like the, these teachings or whatever, you know? If I give you that, will you put it into practice? Uh, yeah, it sounds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this whole concept uh, or understanding of the world in general, in fact, it becomes a worldview, Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, so that our whole life is to looking to see whether something is dangerous or not, and if it is, or if it's Dukkha, then we don't have anything to do with it. Mm. And if it's wholesome, we invite it. Okay. How to do that then, this uh, Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, is uh, broken down into the Four Noble Truths. Um, the first Noble Truth is the whiz-bang dinghy. That's why it is number one on the list. And that yeah. is, is that things are, in fact, unsatisfactory. And yeah. when I say things, I'm talking about just about everything. Yeah. Everything is, uh, in fact, one of the ways of saying it is there's no such thing as perfection. You can find imperfections in everything. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know what, what's coming up right now is like, I, it's like I know these practices are going to work and like I have a lot of fear towards like letting go of a lot of things, you know? Like, is it, is it like, and, and Dennis was telling me it's not really like. Well, why this. don't you just let go of that fear? 
Okay, I'm going to let go. <laughs> let go of that fear, too. Let go of whatever it is is hindering you from being happy in this moment. But in fact, you're, you're saying, oh, I worry about being afraid because I'll lose a bunch of stuff. And I'm saying, don't worry about it. Just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Just be happy. <laughs> Sounds fair enough, simple enough. <laughs> It sounds simple enough, but maybe, unfortunately, maybe you've already gotten yourself in the habit of being unhappy too often. Yeah. That's All true. right. So basically what the Four Noble Truths are is that there is dukkha and that we have to learn to see it for what it really is, as opposed to just taking somebody's word for it. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Or, oh, you ought to vote for me. Or, oh, you ought to vote for this or that politician. Right? Yeah. Or, oh, you ought to read this Dhamma book. And most people will just take people's word for it. In fact, Christianity is literally nothing but hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of people over time just taking somebody's word for it. Hmm. Yeah. And, in fact, the same thing is with Islam. Right from the very beginning, right from the get-go, um, everything about Islam is people blindly, like a sheep, following along with what they were told without doing any investigation at all. Yeah. And so a lot of what this dukkha business is, is to investigate things for sure, to see if it's true, to see if it's right, to see if it's wholesome, or to see if it's a bunch of rubbish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, the, the, the twin uh, with that first noble truth, the second noble truth, is the cause of suffering. Now, this is something that's really, really hard for most people, because what we've been saying all along, basically the authorities have been saying all along is, oh, don't look here. Yeah. Oh, we try a we try a uh, Jedi mind trick. Oh, the ones you're looking for are not here. It's yeah. not me. I'm not the fault. I'm not the one who did it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically we get in then the mindset of trying to avoid dukkha by blaming it on someone else. Okay. And not taking responsibility for it ourselves. But in fact, when we run full. Uh, full on into the second noble truth, it's a whiz bang. Because uh, the second noble truth says that, in fact, um, in, in the Mahayana tradition, they say it's all about tanha or it's all about grasping and clinging. But it's actually something much more profound than just a simple answer like that. Mm. And that uh, uh, the more complicated answer has to do with feelings. And the feeling is, is that if we like it, we want it. And if we want it, we got a habit. And if we have it, we try to cling to it and keep it. And if we don't like something, we want to get rid of it. And if we want to get rid of it, then we'll take action against it. Mm. And there's the third element, which is the most important, is in that we think that that item that we don't like Mm-hmm. is the cause of the suffering, and that's ignorance. The real problem is, is that I don't like it. Not that it's inherently bad, it's that I am ignorant about my feelings. 
Okay. And when I, when I start looking at my feelings directly and start acting with wisdom, then all the old stuff tends to become less and less important. Mm. It tends to drop away. Okay. Now, at any point in time, we can see whatever we're doing in this present moment is a bunch of junk, and we can stop it. And in that moment, we can come to a state of being free from suffering, the third noble truth. Now, this third noble truth, they mentioned it in passing, but very few people spend much time talking about it, writing about it, or spending time there. But the important thing is, is for when you are, in fact, free from suffering, you should know that. You should recognize that. You say, wow, this is really nice. Wow, freedom from suffering. From, you know. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? It's just as good now as it was the last time that I was completely free from suffering. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so this is the third noble truth is let's find a way where we know that we can, in fact, be free from suffering, because unless we have that knowledge and the actual experience of, at least for a moment, to being free from suffering, then the Buddhist path is meaningless. It's only yeah. an intellectual exercise. It's something to get a Ph.D. from in Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's nothing to actually put into practice and do it. Once you put it into practice, you can recognize that this third noble truth has power behind it, yeah. but it's satisfying, okay? And now we also know that there is uh, the fourth noble truth, and the fourth noble truth is the method. They generally translate that as the path, and when they translate it as the path, that looks like, oh, I'm on a path going someplace. Eventually, I'll get to my destination. Mm. And for that reason, the word path is not the right way to do it. It's much more talking about the method in the sense that the way to unlock the door is a method. You take the key, you put it in, you turn the crank and turn the knob and the door opens. Nice. <laughs> okay. It's, and it's one, two, three, four, like that. Sometimes very quickly we get yeah. it done because we know the method. Mm. Okay, now they talk about these truths as being noble. And what we mean about this is, is that they're high class, high quality. Anyone who lives their life, according to the four noble truths, lives a noble life, a high class life. They don't yeah. get in the mud and wrestle with pigs. Nice. No. <laughs> yeah. It's not a good idea to mud wrestle with pigs. You'll get them muddy all over, and the yes. pig loves it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. 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 <laughs> and so in that regards, thinking of don't, don't mud wrestle with pigs, that means about politics. Don't get involved with politics. You just get muddy all over. Okay. Makes sense. So... And we can see that it's dangerous. So this, uh, this whole idea of noble means that we, we eventually go to um, a more noble way of living by practicing being noble moment to moment whenever we remember. And the more often we remember and the longer we can sustain it, then the closer we are to being, um, and we call that 
unremitting. Unremitting in the sense of just when you need it most. Sati, you remember, things come right back. Nice. And so when your boss yells at you, instead of feeling sad and droopy and not listening to what he says, or to argue with him, yeah. what you can do is, is that uh, you can put all of that aside and listen, be here now. You can take his criticism and give him back eagerness and joy. Oh, I want to do it like that. Mm. But we don't do it. No, we don't. And then we're not listening very well. Okay, so this is an example uh, of how uh, the Dhamma can be used in all cases. Every case, if we can remember. If we can remember and apply the Dhamma, then in that case, we will act nobly. Another quality of the nobility is is that these four noble truths have been true all along. This is a kind of, uh, uh, these these truths are a kind of Dhamma that doesn't change. Most things change. Hmm. Who, Who is the king changes. Who is the best of this and that. Who is, what is the best science? What is the best way? And always... These four noble truths remain noble. They remain at the top. This is the very highest. And, it, okay. and they remain that way. Okay. So now let's look for a little while at this eightfold noble, what's called path, this eightfold mm-hmm. method, and mm-hmm. dissect it into some usable things. That in fact, basically what we can see is, is that this is not just a method. It's a skill development. It's like a method of playing the piano. Okay, but if you don't practice the piano, you're not going to be a pianist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we know who the pianist is. You know who the pianist is? The pianist is the one who drinks the most beer. (laughs) (laughs) Most beer. (laughs) Little drunk joke there. All right, so... um, (laughs) But you're not going to learn to play the piano until you practice. And if you hate practice, you won't do it. If you enjoy and love the practice and start making a bit of music right from the very beginning, then you will enjoy your practice and you'll become very good at it. Is this how... uh, Is it a mind? That's how everything works. No, that's true. That's true, though. But, you know, we tend to let it work, you know? Like, oh, it's work. It's work. So it's hard. So it's not fun. Oh, well, you're using the word work, or that's how everything then functions in the sense of if a child is really interested in learning to play baseball, he will be a better, better baseball player than the child who does it reluctantly or doesn't want to go to practice. Mm. Okay. So the Dhamma is like that, but I generally use music as an example because I've got a lot of music background. So. <laughs> Um, this Eightfold Noble Path, then, Eightfold, means that it's got eight steps. And that uh, without going into too much formality of the various ways that it's, that it's taught and why, we'll just jump right into the noble way of doing it. Because there's an ordinary way. And the ordinary way is to give all the rules first. 
with mm. the expectation that the kids are a bunch of idiots. They don't know nothing. They have no wisdom. So you have to tell them what to do. And if they don't do it, you beat the tar out of them until they do. <laughs> yeah. And this is the way that morality is generally taught. Is, is that if you're not moral, if you don't, if you don't do the ethical right thing, something or somewhere, you're going to get beaten. Yeah. But this is not what we look at morality. We look at morality as more as the outcome of a noble mind. If I don't want anything, then I'm unlikely to go uh, shoplift it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? If you've got a noble mind, your, uh, your nobility is the cause of your morality, not fear of retribution or fear of getting caught. Mm-hmm. So let's put the morality for aside and let's look at the other qualities of it, because the, a morality is generally the result of having a very well organized mind. We can call it organized. The Buddha used the word um, uh, collected or uh, unified Mm. that basically this is what we mean we don't mean a mind is concentrated and fixed but rather that is open and unified and kind of ready for anything Mm. that's the end of it how do we get to that state of having that unified mind that is unified because it's Free from lies, doesn't tell any lies, got no reason to tell any lies. I'm not afraid of anything. I haven't done anything wrong, so it's perfectly okay to, uh, to not lie about anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I lie about something, my mind is not completely unified. I'm trying to hide something on the side over there, not, bl- not letting it in. The same mm-hmm. thing is about doubt. If I've got doubts about things, then the mind is not unified. If I can be completely free from doubt and I know what's going on, then the mind is unified. Yeah. That's the thing. I would always um I would always try to be truthful, like always truthful about things, but some but like I do catch myself holding like back on so many things sometimes, you know, it's like sugar coating error or even uh, I, I try not to lie, but even sometimes I get scared and I, I probably would lie, you know? We're in the habit of lying. And you can come out of the habit of lying when you recognize how dangerous and how harmful your lies are, especially to yourself. Yes. If you say that, oh, I was doing really bad over there, but it wasn't all that bad and I can get away with it after all anyway. No big deal. I'll just keep doing it. (laughs) I'm not going to come out of it. But it would say, wow, that was wrong. I see that that was wrong. Boy, I've been doing that for years and couldn't see how wrong and bad it was. But now I can really see what's going on. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to tell any lies about doing it anymore. Yeah, that's another thing that fascinates me and interests me is like being able to, I guess, to let go of all that and like all that, that fear, I guess, you know, and baggage that's there when it comes to, you know being truthful Mm -hmm. you know yes i do (laughs) oh oh, yeah you're good you're good got muted for a sec all right so now let's look at with just a basic understanding of what this unification of mind is and in the poly by the way it's called sama area samati sama 
means right or true or correct. Aryan is the word that we translate as to noble or high class. Uh, we have a different view of it than Hitler did. <laughs> but he was after the Aryan race. We're after getting people in an Aryan frame of mind so that they don't have to race anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then the word samati. The word samati is often translated as concentration, but in fact, it's got nothing to do with concentration. It's got to do with collecting things together. Quick example. Things that are concentrated, like um, uh, that we know as products, and we use the word concentration correctly, is like frozen concentrated orange juice. Mm -hmm. Right? They take the water out of it so that they can transport it. So when you take that frozen concentrated orange juice out of the freezer, do you just eat it immediately? No. Or, or do you put water back in it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so when it's got the water back in it, it's fit for drink, right? Yes, sir. Now it's samati because it's complete and whole and it's got all of its ingredients. Concentration means that you're taking things out and getting down to the very basic core without having all of the collected things. And so mm -hmm. this is a, one of the mistranslations. Is uh, right noble concentration? No, 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 no. Right noble organization. Mm. That's a better way of looking at it. Right noble uh, unification where you've got all of the elements together. And so this getting the elements together is actually quite a lot of uh, the, the method or the path is getting things organized, getting things collected together, and we need the skills to do that. Mm -hmm. So that leaves now four items that we mm -hmm. develop skill in. The first item on the list and the most powerful and the most important one is one's right noble view. And we will talk about uh, three kinds of views. There is wrong view, there is ordinary right view, which are our society, and then there is noble view. And basically right noble view is to look, to investigate, to keep uh, getting various viewpoints. It's sort of like, um, uh, think of it as one camera that's mounted on the wall, like a, uh, a security camera, versus a whole lot of photographers in the room, each one of them with a cell phone or better, taking a whole bunch of photos. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can see a whole lot more. If you've mm. got photo, if you've got cameras all over the place, mm. all right. If you think about that, then one's noble right view means that it doesn't hold to a fixed position, that it can, mm. that we can take various views. Mm. That, for instance, we don't have to see Donald Trump as what everybody thinks he is. We can see it from what the other people think he is. We can okay. look at it from all the different angles and we can see it in various details and nuances and get a better picture of what's really going on. That in yeah. fact, this, this quality of investigation is the predominant feature of one's right view. Mm. Eventually, that right view will be to understand and see how the mind itself works. 
that will be down at the very uh, bottom of the second noble truth. When we really see how the mind works to wind up in dukkha, then we recognize, hey, wait a minute, this is all my fault. I can't blame anybody else, even the tsunami. Okay, and in December of 2004, there was a huge tsunami out in the Ottoman Sea, and it swamped Phuket here in Thailand. It was international news all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so everybody will say, oh, we suffered a lot because of that tsunami. Here the, the, we saw the water go out and then we saw the water come back in and everything was a big flood, right? Yeah. Guess what? The day before that tsunami happened, all of the elephant trainers had to let the elephants go and then follow them up into the mountains. Nice. The elephants knew in advance, which means that the humans weren't paying attention to how dangerous things were. And so the elephants, they just took a hike. Yeah. Now, what was the cause of suffering? Was the cause of the suffering actually that tsunami or was the cause of suffering the ignorance of that tsunami? Yeah. Ignorance. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So this is why right view becomes important, is, is that yeah. if we can see the, what, things the way the elephants see it, we can miss the tsunami. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but if we get caught in the tsunami due to our own ignorance, now we're out looking for blame. Oh, God did it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah, that's a, that's a common one right there. Yeah, that's a common, isn't it? Yeah, God did it. And got everything. Yeah, they must have been a bunch of gays and and <laughs> <laughs> there are. <laughs> so, right view comes first, but it grows along with these other three skills that I'm about to announce. The first one and the most important skill to be developed is the is the development of what we uh the poly word is sati and what that sati means is uh to remember to look at what you're doing to remember and a good way of looking at it is to wake up to literally come into this present moment to be here now to come out of the thoughts that we were having in the past and the future and come to this present moment to wake up to be here now that we, in fact, cannot uh, look at things correctly, take a good, close look and observe and investigate if we forget to do so. Mm. And so this is why sati comes first. And when we uh, wake up and take a look at what's going on and see that this is unwholesome, then we have to take right effort to dispense with it, to let it go, to throw it out or to change what's in the mind. Okay, and so two um, aspects of one's right effort. One with this thing we call anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, is that we're going to come back to the present moment with the breath. We can't watch last year's breath or next month's breath. Only the one we're having right here right now. We can't watch a breath somebody's having in Timbuktu. This breath now 
in, out, in, and we know that it's a long in-breath, and out, and we know that it's a long out-breath. And this is the way that we begin to train the mind to be in the present moment. The second one is uh, the second aspect of right effort mm. is to change what's in the mind and to also change the feeling. Now, normally what happens with everyone is, is that they wake up only a little bit, mm. but they don't wake up fully. When we wake up only a little bit, then we can see the dukkha, but then the old ways of doing things still hang in there. In the sense of, I was supposed to watch my breath, I thought I was supposed to watch my breath, and now I'm not watching my breath. Oh, that's such a tragedy. I thought I could watch my breath, and now I can't watch it. Oh, mm -hmm. poor is me. Oh, you should watch your breath. What a naughty boy you are. Okay, <laughs> this is exactly what people do with themselves. Yeah, come And they go from one uh, negative state, and then they wake up to that negative state, and then they go into a deeper negative state, complaining yeah. about the negative state that they saw. Okay, this is a common Isn't thing. It is everybody, everybody does this. It's so common. Is there some like dark night souls type of thing? No, we're way, 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 way off from dark nights of souls. Let's leave that alone for a while. Okay, okay. No, this, this is a dark moment of the crap. That's what it is. <laughs> this is a dark moment of crap, not a dark night of the souls. Dark moment of crap. Okay, that's because good. that's what we do when we recognize that we're a failure. We don't like to be a failure. And so we see it as a failure because we had the idea I was going to watch the breath and now I find myself not watching it. Mm -hmm. Well, we then as we progress through the Dhamma, then we go from higher uh, from little things like watching the breath into higher things like noble. And I said, I thought I was going to be noble and I wasn't noble. Oh, war is me. I'm a poor piece of crap. I can't get it. Right. <laughs> Same thing exactly. When we see ourselves in failure, we punish ourselves for it. Yeah, that's true. And we have to come out of that. Because what we need to do is congratulate ourselves for seeing the failure rather than punishing ourselves because we have failed. Yeah, I think sometimes it's it's that, but it's also that they they probably feel like they continue to fail, maybe, that they're continuing to fail. That's how we continue to fail. In fact, while we're punishing okay, ourselves for failure, that's failing again, right there. Nice, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Makes sense. <laughs> okay. And it's a hindrance to you being happy. That's just another way of worrying. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, monkey mind. Oh, you know, that whole show that yeah. we go through. We have to wake up to that, too. Okay. And when we do, then we take on the right effort. And the right effort, like I said, is watching the breath is also changing the content of the mind. And the way that the Buddha started doing this was with the phrase, Aha, I see you, Mara. Now, when, when we are in an unwholesome state of mind, we're in it. We are that state of mind. 
that most people have the misconception that I am my thoughts. So if I'm having this thought, that means that uh, uh, this thought is right, good, true, and pure because I had this thought. Mm. Leads to this phrase that Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Mm. He was wrong. Mm. He should have said, I think, therefore I think I am. Mm. <laughs> because that's what he really is. That's who we are. We're not a thing. We're a thought about a thing. Mm. And not really a thing at all. So uh, mm. that means that things are actually easy to change. If it's not even a thing at all, it's just a thought. And we can change our thoughts. We change our thoughts all the time. You can be watching TV and be really absorbed in it, and your cell phone rings, and instantly you change your thought from mm. watching the TV to the thought of the cell phone. You want to see who it is. You want to know if you're going to answer it or not. After all, I was in TV. <laughs> okay. Mm. So if the mind can change that quickly, we can intentionally change it that quickly because, in fact, you did intentionally change it. Mm. Another example, um, uh, the story is about um, uh, a particular dude that I know who um, is part of a uh, publishing clearinghouse in the days when magazines were starting to die and nobody was having magazines anymore. They had a um, uh, promotion that was a big uh, check like a lottery. And so here Ed McMahon comes up to the door with a check that's so big that a, a girl in a skimpy outfit is completely covered with, with this big check that she's got. And when the guy <laughs> opens the door, they tell him, congratulations, you've just won $10 million. Now, guess what? I see both of you smiling with just the thought of $10 million. <laughs> okay. That means that you can change your mind. I just proved it to you. You yeah. can change your mind. You can take the right effort to change the mind from what it was doing into something more wholesome. Believe me, getting $10 million is not wholesome. But thinking about $10 million is uh, pleasurable. <laughs> Why is $10 million itself not wholesome? Well, first off, the tax man's going to come. So you're going to try to get an accountant to try to hide the money. And then the relatives come and somebody wants a loan and somebody tries to sell you something. And generally within three years, people who win a big lottery like that are broke. They quit their job. They were living the high life and now they're destitute. Yeah. So yeah. much for winning the lottery if you do it foolishly. Mm. <laughs> but if you uh, win uh, $10 million and, and want to do something with it wisely, I've got an email address for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was wondering, what would you do with it? <laughs> with I, I would promote the Dhamma. Beautiful. Nice. Which is what we're doing. That's the email address that I'd give you. Nice. <laughs> we're, we're starting a, a, um, an open Sangha fo foundation or network for that. But meanwhile, mm -hmm. back to right effort yes, we have to take the right effort to recognize we wake up with sati we say we inspect the thought we recognize this is not wholesome 
and in the very first beginning, we can have a very e- it's very easy to say is not wholesome. Why? Because the, right now the only wholesome is to watch the breath. That's the only job we've got to do. And if we're not doing that job, then the mind is obviously off doing something not so wholesome. Hmm. Later, we'll expand what we mean by wholesome thoughts. But generally, anything that prevents us from actually doing anapanasati is unwholesome. Therefore, we can see that thought as unwholesome and say, out you go, and now we start having thoughts of the breath, thoughts of the body, thoughts of breathing in, thoughts of breathing out, thoughts of being in the present moment, and thoughts about how good it is to not have to think about all of that stuff that was keeping me out of the present moment. Hmm. That that's useless baggage, and I can drop it right now. Mm. And mm-hmm. I can come and bring the mind into a wholesome state right now. This 24/7? is the right effort. Pardon? 24-7? No, when you remember. When you remember, okay. When you remember. Okay. Okay. And when you forget, the mind will wander away. And when you and it may be an hour or two or three or a day or a month or a year or for never, but someday maybe you will remember and then yeah. you'll come back to the present moment. Mm. If if this was a long time, are you going to be in great remorse about, oh, it's been two weeks since I remembered to watch the breath? That remorse for the last two weeks is just more hindrance, just more dukkha. Mm. So we can even say, never mind that I haven't been doing it for a while. Start again and let's do it now. Beautiful. (laughs) Always this present moment. The past, all of it is all gone now. No use to reminisce over that last two weeks because it's gone. And if I reminisce and, and remorse over it, I'm wasting this moment too. Hmm. Mm. Mm. So, now we understand how uh, right effort works, and we can start to bring in formal aspects of Anapanasati. That basically Anapanasati is the Buddha's preferred method of actually practicing and developing the skills of the Eightfold Noble Method. All right? So... Anapanasati starts first with breathing to take a long, deep in-breath and a long, deep out-breath. Now, what I mean by long and deep, that it's not so long or deep that it's work, but that it's a long, deep, comfortable, easy, relaxed breath. Normally, people breathe shallowly, which means they breathe from about 60% down to 40%, and they're just in a very, very small area. What we're going to do is we're going to broaden that area for, say, like up to 80-20, but there's no reason to try to top it off or to exhaust it completely. Mm. Because that's work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And we're looking for a very easy breath, but that it has to be conscious. And not just conscious, but it has to be um, contrived, forced, uh, controlled, uh, restrained, 
Now, when we say restrained, we're not talking about this kind of restraint, but we're restraining it in the sense that we're actually going to do this in-breath, out-breath, like that. All right? So we're actually learning to, and saying it this way. If I can learn to control the breath, then I can learn to control the mind. And if I can learn to control the thinking part of the mind, I can learn to control the feelings also so that I actually can feel good when I want to simply because I remember that I know how to do it. And we can feel good any time that we want to. Sometimes it feels like resistance, though, no? A little bit? Well, that's because practice. Oh, I was, I, saying sometimes, I was saying sometimes it feels like a bit of resistance. Can you hear me? Yes. The resistance is the fact that you've got old habit patterns. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that you've got a way of doing things, and we're going to make a change in that. In fact, we're going to make some very profound changes, but we have to keep making the change over and over again because it things will fall back to the default position. Over and over again, it will fall back to the default position, which is dukkha. So, like, neuroplasticity, right, it's like... It's like being consistent or, or like how they say 45 days of doing a habit would change you and would change it permanently or stuff like that like that is all magical thinking okay yeah that's magical thing that is no truthfully it is though yes it's magical thinking when they give guarantees like that uh with yeah. about what you are going to do with your time after you pay me money <laughs> yeah. But when the student understands that everything that happens is going to happen because of his own right or wrong practice, his own correct practice or his own um, magical practice, that basically there's only two kinds of practice. Here's, an, here's one of the examples of magical meditation practice is, is that the student... Um, works very hard, he's very diligent, he really wants uh, enlightenment, and uh, he has the idea that if he sits and sits and sits and sits for hour and 300 hours and 1,000 hours and 10,000 hours, that eventually joy and bliss will happen. Yeah, like brute force, brutally. Mm -hmm. Guess what? If you do not develop the skill of joy and bliss, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> That's that's what's new. That's something new to me. Like with Buddha, with the whole this teaching, it's like. Well, the whole Western mindset is is that you have to go to work and do your job, and eventually you'll get a paycheck. Yeah, that's. I meditated a lot. I, I meditated, but I just suffered through it. Really, I just suffered. Mm -hmm. You know. And you were wanting something. Yeah. And you went up too. always disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can get your mind into a state that you don't want anything, then that's really satisfying. Yeah, that sounds like a This is one of the reasons why books don't work very well is because the book can't, uh, can't point the student out and say, hey, you, stop wanting anything out of this book and start yeah. enjoying reading the book. <laughs> Yeah. And start to enjoy uh, your moment. If you cannot enjoy this moment, then how can three 
300,000 hours of disappointment lead to enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. The Buddha was very specific that everything has a cause. Everything has a fuel. No fire burns without a fuel. When you take the fuel away from a fire, it will go out. Mm. So if you're not developing joy, it won't develop. If yeah. you don't practice the piano, you're not going to learn to play it. If you practice the piano but hate every minute of it, you're not going to learn to pray very well. But if you practice the piano and really love it, or if you're practicing baseball and you're really into it, then okay. you're going to learn to play it well. So meditation, is that not like all things else? If you're really into it and really enjoying it, you're going to get someplace. Yeah. But we have to have that change of attitude. Because when we're kids, we can, in fact, um, some kids can enjoy playing baseball and get good at it. Other kids can enjoy playing the piano and get good at it. But you've probably heard the concept that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Well, you, Mr. Old Dog, I'm going to teach you a new trick. <laughs> I'm going to teach you to enjoy I'm still young. I'm still young. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you already so ossified, so caked with old stuff. Yeah, and I understand. <laughs> and we need to um, uh, start seeing that stuff, not at its roots and try to pull it out. It's like yeah. uh, going to a giant oak tree. Okay. You cannot, with your bare hands, pull that oak tree out by the root. You can't do it. Yeah. But you could go from leaf to leaf and pull off every leaf. Okay. And if you keep pulling off the leaves off of that old tree, and it has no nourishment because it's got no way of getting any sunshine because it has no leaves because you pulled them all off, then that tree is going to wither and die. Mm. So we can think of that's how we practice uh, uh, Anapanasati, is because we're no longer going to allow that, that weed, that new thought, to, to spring to life. We're not going to let that, that uh, leaf stay. We're going to whack it off. Mm. We're going to allow only wholesome things in our garden and not allow all of the weeds. Now we say, well, my whole garden is full of weeds. Okay, you only have to whack one of them at a time off. Just one. Yeah. This one. The one that you see right in front of you. Yeah. And Makes so sense. everything is back to this present moment. So we have to begin to understand what is wholesome and what is unwholesome thought so we'll know which to cut and which to um, propagate. Yes, so sir. that we're going to start propagating the wholesome and we're going to eliminate the negative things. So think thoughts about the past, thoughts about the future, junk thoughts, the mind just rambling and running around, thoughts of doubt about what we're doing, all of those kind of thoughts, thoughts of wanting something, our thoughts of uh, writing an email to your uh, new favorite enemy 
that you're going to tell him what a piece of crap he is. <laughs> Those kinds of thoughts while we're sitting practicing Anapanasati are completely unwholesome. What is wholesome? Ah, oh, look at right now. Isn't it nice? There's no dukkha in this present moment. The only dukkha I have is the dukkha that I generate with my mind. And if I'm not generating any dukkha, oh, I can relax and feel good. Take a load off. Sit down and enjoy the moment. Yeah. Okay. When we do this, we begin to develop. Now, actually, we've already been talking a lot about what's going on in the mind in reference to Anapanasati. So let me stop for just a moment and say that there are 16 steps of Anapanasati, and we've already been talking about most of them. One is the long, deep breath. Another one, which I just mentioned, was just relaxing. That's step four. Then we also have uh, sati to wake up is step nine. And what we call gladdening the mind. Aha, I see you, Myra. I see that stuff is now step 10 of gladdening the mind. Okay. So the Buddha's got every one of these little things in there. We also have the dhammas, uh, dhammanupasana, in the sense I see that this new thought that just arisen is unwholesome. Let me dispense with that. Let me let it go. Let me relinquish it and throw it out. And then come back to this present moment. In doing so, we develop two new things. One is sukha and the other one is pity. These are two poly terms that have to do with feelings. So instead of having fear, anger, anxiety, uh, sadness, grief, despair, and all of those kind of feelings that have to do with losing something or being in danger or being a victim of something, we're going to start intentionally developing the feelings of being a winner, being successful, being in the state of, wow, this is nice. That's success. Being in a state of danger, that's not too successful. And it's also that you're in, uh, uh, you're subject to becoming a victim to whatever it is that's dangerous. But now we're going to change that frame of reference into becoming a winner, becoming satisfied. That in fact that satisfaction and that um, feeling of being a champion, being on top of your game, will also slowly develop. This is the fourth item on the list now of the Eightfold Noble Method, and that is one's right attitude. The attitude of a winner, the attitude of I can do this, the attitude of success, the attitude of, wow, this Anapanasati practice is good stuff. I like it. Okay, <laughs> that's the way that we start to practice. But mostly we don't do it that way. Mostly we do and the way that we sit every, see everybody else doing it. We sit out on the floor and we think about the breath. And when the mind wanders away, then we start beating ourselves up and we worry about how long this is going to take. Sitting there for a long time, we eventually get the mind very tired because we're not actually breathing well anyway. So when the mind then is tired, it gets kind of drowsy and dopey, and we go into a daydreamy kind of sleep. This daydreamy kind of sleep then is what a lot of people think is deep meditation. Yeah. 
We're not trying to have deep meditation. We're looking for something bright, something open, something be here now. Yeah, I've been in that state. Okay. Well, that's a hindrance to actually being joyful. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay, so now you have enough uh, that you can go start to practice and we can continue on with the details. But the first thing is that we sit down with the commitment. I'm going to watch the breath. I'm going to let it be long in and long out. And I'm going to enjoy the breathing. And every time that I note that I'm breathing in long, that's sati. And every time I note that I'm breathing out long, that's sati. And the thoughts that you can have are the thoughts that are wholesome about the body moving. The, you can feel the, the shirt uh, the touch of the cloth, you can feel the air, you can feel the nostrils, you can feel all kinds of things happening in the body while we're just sit there watching the body breathe. And guess what? You'll start thinking about that, and then that'll lead to another thought, and then the mind just wanders away, and pretty soon we're not even watching the breath anymore. And then yeah. later we'll recognize, oh, wait a minute, I'm meditating. Can I start again? I woke up. Yeehaw! Now I can come back with right effort and start breathing again, get the energy flowing, and I can be good to myself. I don't have to beat myself up because the mind wandered away. That, in fact, I can congratulate myself because I caught it. Yeehaw! Yeah, I caught it again. There, That, that mind goes away again, and I found it and brought it back. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so these yeah. are the kind of thoughts that we have are wholesome, valuable, trusting, nurturing thoughts. Mm. As opposed to critical thoughts, having thoughts of critical about I want this and I don't have it, or the mind is a monkey mind, or any time that you start to criticize yourself, recognize mm. that, hey, you've been doing that all of these years and looking where it's got you. Mm. Mm. Very true. Right. So if you're con uh, if you're critical of yourself, that's just what you've been doing. If you're critical of yourself and you can catch it, if you recognize, if you can see that you're critical of yourself, now you're making progress. Ah, I see you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Beautiful. so you can come back happily and start to develop this satisfaction. This is good enough. Yeah. Okay. And with that, we develop the winner's attitude. Hey, I, I can do this. I yeah. can bring myself to a state of satisfaction. These are actually step uh, five and six of Anapanasati. And they are skills to be developed. The skill of satisfaction, the skill of joy. And that it, uh, part of the development of that is with using the mind uh, and the contents of the mind to gladden, to feel good. Okay, aha, I see you, Myra. Aha, I don't have to think about that email. I don't have to think about the argument that I had with Aunt Susie. I can just sit here and chill. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. Is there, is there any, uh, like, guided meditations you recommend or something like that? Or just... Guide your own meditation. Guide my own, okay. Yeah, nice. guide your own. Do this. Okay. Recognize sati. That's the number one skill. 
When you sit down and have the right intention, I'm going to remember to watch the breath. I'm going to remember to enjoy watching the breath. Okay. I'm going to relax and I'm going to watch the breath, body breathing and enjoy. Now, generally what will happen is you'll become restless. The restlessness is under there. The yeah. restlessness is what eventually will take the mind away. But restlessness is also felt in the body. And we actually, when that restlessness gets big, we've got words for it. Anxiety. Yeah. Tension. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you will run into that, that uh, um, restlessness early. But how you will see it is that the mind just wanders away. In fact, a restless mind does tend to wander. Yes. And so feel comfortable that you can catch it wandering away, that you like catching it and uh, see it wandering away and putting it back and setting it here on the breath. Okay. Okay. And so by tethering the mind on the breath, now not only are you controlling the the breath and, um, and learning to control the breath, but you're using the mind to do that. So this is also a mind training, too. You're beginning to train the mind and to train the breathing and developing the skills like that so that you can then concentrate on being satisfied and being a winner, which is now getting rid of the anxiety, getting rid of all the fears and the tensions and the anger and the sadness and the wanting and all of that stuff. Mm. And be satisfied with things are good right now. This is good. This is really yeah. good. So when I'm meditating and I'm breathing and I'm focusing on my breath, do I, uh, wait, what was my question? Do I, do I focus on also calming my body, calming my body down? You can, con- you, I wouldn't use the word concentrate, but you can notice. Notice. Notice oh. that the body Not- is becoming uh, uh, satisfied, that you can calm down and hold still. What about when it becomes tense or like, yeah, and anxiety? I got to learn to like catch my breath, right? You said catch, catch the breath. You can, in fact, if you notice anxiety already coming up, that's a physical thing in the body, you can actually intentionally breathe into that. You can begin to play with that anxiety. Can you move it around? Can you make it throb with the in and the out breath? Can nice. you break it up? Like, uh, isn't like the breath, the breath, like in the, in the Bhikkhu Buddha, I, I gave him the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa book. And in that book, it says the breath conditions the body. So it's like the better the breathing, the easier the body will feel. Like, as you know, Damarato says all the, you know, he's telling us so right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually giving the details of what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa was saying. Yes, the breath conditions the body for everybody all the time. An example of that is stop breathing and see what the body does. Okay. All and, right. and continue <laughs> and hold your breath and hold your breath and see what the body does. <laughs> okay. Okay. And the, is- uh, the other side of that then is, is that when you, when you finish with that holding your breath and allow the body to take a breath, notice that you really like that one. That breathing is good stuff. It is good to breathe. <laughs> it's nice. And yet we don't pay much attention to it at all. It's sort yeah. of like it's, it's become not just second nature, it's first nature. And it's so natural. We pay no attention to it at all. 
without understanding that the anxiety, the frustrations and tensions that people feel can be conditioned by the breathing. Because when we're, when we're full of fear, we shut down. When we're full of tensions and anxieties, we shut the breathing down. When the breathing is shut down, guess what? The big old huge frontal cortex, your supercomputer, shuts down, leaving only the reptilian brain operating. And guess where all of those bad feelings come from? The reptilian brain, the back part of the brain, the, uh, the anterior cortex. What we want is that frontal cortex to be working, to be the boss, so that you can feel the way you want to feel rather than feeling the way you instinctively feel. Mm-hmm. And it all starts by consciously doing this and then over time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. All right. So go practice this. Practice it. I would say practice it more often several times a day for shorter periods of time rather than one long duration. Why? Because long duration sets that they recommend, the mind gets tired after 20 minutes for the beginner. And you're wasting, if you sit for an hour, you've got good 20 minutes and then 40 minutes of dukkha, and you don't even know it. So it's better to stay for 20 minutes four or five times a day. Yeah, okay. 15 minutes. Okay, yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. Okay, so practice it like that, and then give me a call again. I hope yes, now sir. the second call you won't be nervous. <laughs> I won't be nervous. <laughs> um, he has the book. Um, can you tell him how to use it? Because I know you told me how to use it. Because it is kind of like it gives that vibe of it's a step-by-step. Which one? Uh, the mindfulness, uh, mindfulness of breathing. The one I showed you, the Santicaro translated. Oh, oh uh, the, the book for serious beginners. Yeah, yeah, I told them the serious part wasn't, it wasn't for serious. <laughs> yes, sir, this book. <laughs> yes, yes, that one I know, right. Yes. Guess what? It's not, don't be serious. <laughs> for serious beginners. Don't be serious. This is, a, uh, this, this is for, better use the word dedicated. But even a better word would be enthusiastic. Man. So Anapanasati is for enthusiastic beginners. Beautiful. Enthusiastic. <laughs> okay. Keep that okay. in mind. <laughs> so when are you going to call again? Uh, I'm not sure. Whenever I do, I just call when I feel ready or. When I would say call about for a little while, call about twice a week and then down to once a week. And then like, uh, uh, Dennis, you can call whenever you want to. Okay. All right. That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. I Dennis, do you it. have any parting words for this? No, I'm just, it's like, it's so, I'm so happy you guys met. <laughs> I'm just so happy. <laughs> yeah, Dennis has been telling me about you for quite a bit. So, and I, pre- yeah. yeah, I appreciate Dennis a lot for it too. Well, I enjoy talking to uh, friends. I enjoy telling them about the Dhamma. Yeah. It's, it's a gift that's been so valuable to me, I can't shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like food. It's like food at this point. Like mm-hmm. you, you eat it up and you don't. The you never... Dhamma does nourish us. You're exactly right. It is exactly a food. Wow. Okay. 
Okay. The practices. <laughs> okay. Giovanni, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Giovanni. We'll see you in a couple of days. Okay. How do you say your name again? I'm sorry, sir. The, the... Damarato. Damarato. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I see the, the word. Okay. The word rato actually means delight. And so that's oh, wow. part of my job is to be delightful. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are delightful, sir. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll see you. Right. Dennis, thanks for your introduction. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Dennis. Appreciate you. <laughs> okay, we'll see you later. All right, take care. Bye-bye.